Um, Would you all do this? Would you stand with me for the reading, the honoring of God's word? We are starting a new series on the book of James today. And here is how James begins. This is the word of the Lord. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Heavenly Father, um, would you today, by your grace, soften our hearts, sharpen our minds, and move our hands and our lips to action, that we might embody the faith by your grace that you have given us for the good of this world. Help me to preach your word. Jesus, we want to see you today. May we see you by the power of your spirit through your word. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What we just read is wisdom literature. Now, what is wisdom literature? Or more so, what in the world is wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? I think it's pretty obvious when we open up the news in any way, shape, or form that in our divided and fractured world, we need a lot more wisdom. Now, wisdom is one of those things that that you think you can define, that you think you can explain, but when you try, it's, it's just much harder than you think. So what is it? Well, whatever wisdom is, the book of James is wisdom literature, similar to those Old Testament books of Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, and I'd also throw in there um, the Song of Solomon and a few others. And so uh, we need to explore this and get a better understanding of wisdom if we are to really hear what the book of James has to say to us in this season. Uh, But before we do go on that brief tour of wisdom to set the foundation today to understand what James is doing at large in this book, um, I want to set the foundation a little bit more specifically, logistically, for uh, the book of James. Now, our aim is to uh, work our way through the treasures of this wonderful book until we arrive at Advent uh, at the end of November. So that gives us about three months to really dig in, go deep, open this thing up verse by verse. So in order to do that, it would be good to know who in the world James is and who he's writing to. So let's, let's begin with a little background information, some context to set us up. James who? Who is this James? This James is the brother of Jesus, his biological blood brother. They have the same mom, Mary. Right? So he's the son of Mary. He is the biological blood brother of Jesus. So, that means this James grew up in the same house with Jesus. 
No pressure, right? I mean, big deal that, that your brother happens to be the bona fide savior of the cosmos, right? No sibling jealousy or issues there, right? None, none at all. So, this is the brother of Jesus. This letter is not written by the James of the John, James, and Peter fame. You know, that, that trio of apprentices, of disciples that were really close to Jesus that you hear a lot about in the Gospels. That is a different James, okay? It's a different James. Um, this James uh, seems to not have believed in Jesus during his ministry. He was one of the skeptical uh, members of, of the family. There's a few different points in the Gospels where it talks about how his, his family didn't believe in him. They thought he was a little bit crazy. So James was skeptical of Jesus. It's hard to believe your brother is the savior of the world, I would imagine. Pretty tough, pretty tough call there. Now, um, James became a believer, we believe most likely as we go through the evidence of the New Testament, the letters and the Gospels and Acts, um, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to James, we find out in Acts and some passages in Galatians and stuff, Jesus appeared to James as well as appearing to hundreds of other people in the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. James becomes a believer and he becomes a pastor, a shepherd. He becomes a very influential leader. He is the, the shepherd, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Very influential church, as you can imagine. A lot of influence throughout the entire Mediterranean region. James also becomes the overseer of a very important meeting, a very important council called the Council of Jerusalem dated circa 4950 AD, and this is a very important council because it's about how do the Jewish people and the, the Gentiles who are all Christians interact, what do they have to do? Do they have to follow the same food laws as, as the Jews? There's division. So, so they work through all that, and James oversees that important council. James is also called James the Just. James the Just, as he had a great passion to see people live rightly. Justice and righteousness, those are synonymous terms. And, and so the historian Eusebius wrote this about James. James used to enter alone into the temple and be found kneeling and praying for forgiveness for the people. So that his knees grew hard like a camel's because of constant worship of God, kneeling and asking for forgiveness for the people. So from his excessive righteousness, he was called the just, James the just. That's not in scripture. That is a historical account that was written shortly after. James also died as a martyr, thrown to his death from the temple in Jerusalem somewhere around 62 AD. That is who this James is. So question, what kind of letter, what kind of letter does a blood brother of Jesus who grew up with him, who was skeptical of his ministry, who saw him resurrected and alive and became the first leader of the church of Jerusalem, what kind of letter does that guy write? And that is what we will be looking at. So let's see. <clears throat> Verse 1 helps us out. Verse 1 says, To the twelve tribes... Of the dispersion. See, this is telling us who the letter is to, obviously, the 12 tribes of the dispersion. And this is a way of, of saying to God's people that are scattered all over the world. 
right? Because oppression had come and, and uh, coercion and violence had come against the church by, by uh, Rome and other leaders. And so the church is just, they're, they're scattered all over the Mediterranean world, right? Just moving out from Jerusalem. And this is actually a reference to tie back into the Old Testament. It's a reference to the tribes of Israel that were scattered before because of Assyrian conquest and occupation and Babylonian conquest and occupation. And so the church is scattered. And so James is writing to a scattered and oppressed and misunderstood and hurting church. He's writing to them in order that they might live well. For the way they walk, the way they walk, what it is that they do is of incredibly great importance. So he writes a letter that is concerned about faith taking action, about trust in Jesus actually taking on flesh in their lives. So this is the dominant theme. Real faith has flesh. It's acted out. It's walked out. It's lived out. And so because of this, we're going to see James concerned with various themes, such as trials and temptations, suffering, riches and poverty, justice, favoritism, the power of the tongue, worldliness, the danger of boasting, power of prayer, and illness, the stuff of our daily lives. So this is an immensely practical letter. It's loaded with clear and direct commands and imperatives. It's mixed with memorable metaphors and illustrations. It's very Proverbs-like. And I truly believe that in the season that we are in, um, it will be a great blessing um, to go through this book together. Because friends, the reality is James is not hard to understand at all. It's just hard to live. It's incredibly hard to live out. It's a letter that stirs us to action and highlights our failures to love each other well. So its aim is to see faith take on flesh. There, there's a key verse, we'll, we'll get to it um, in the next couple of weeks, but the key verse is uh, one, chapter 1, verse 22, which says, be doers of the word, right? Be doers, not just hearers, deceiving yourselves. Right? If you're not doing it, if you're not living it, don't be deceived, because you're not really trusting him. So be doers of the word, and here is where we see the link to what wisdom is. Being doers of the word, being hearers and doers, links us to wisdom. James is wisdom-minded. Right? This letter is of the family of the uh, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job from the Old Testament. Those are in the bloodstream of the author of this book. So let's talk about wisdom here for a few moments. Actually, let's do it for the whole rest of the sermon. Let's try that. Let's steep in this thing. We need it. So the, the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. Okay? You've got to get the guttural thing in there. It's chokmah. And you could say in general that it means something like this. It means skillfulness skillfulness. It refers to the skill of living well. It's a skill of living well in the midst of many different situations and challenges of life. In the Old Testament, chokmah often refers to the practical, operational skill of craftsmen, of singers and musicians. Um, I think of um, our brother Dave Johnson here in the congregation. He has chokmah when it comes to carpentry and working with wood. Right, wisdom and how the grains work and what kind of wood needs to be used, how. And he has, he has skill in knowing how to tear it apart and put it back together and create something beautiful. Pastor Jared has chokmah when it comes to a melody, song, dynamic, bringing a team together to create beauty for us to sing with. 
Dr. Bell has chokmah when it comes to the human body, bones, sinews, muscle, how it all works, right? Medical chokmah, okay? Uh, when the tabernacle was, was built in the wilderness, in the Old Testament, it's through the wisdom of God coming to a guy named Bezalel. And Bezalel is filled with the Spirit of God, and he has wisdom to work the metal, the, the stone, the wood, to build something beautiful. And this is the first person in the Bible that we are told is filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God and wisdom live and breathe together. And so with that said, it seems a helpful way for us to articulate what wisdom is, is the following. Wisdom is living well in God's world according to his word, which is breathed out by his spirit. Or you could say it this way, it is the art or the skill of living in accordance with reality. So again, wisdom is living well in God's world according to his word. It is the skill, the art, the ability of living in accordance with reality. Now, that said, we live in the information age, right? We can hop online, get access to any information, anything we need. But wisdom is not just the accumulation of data and knowledge. It's more than information. It's more than data. Google isn't wise, just because its database is mind-numbingly massive and loaded with more information than we can even fathom. It's not wise just because it is accumulated knowledge and data, okay? Wisdom is a way of actually living in the world. It's a way of having agency oriented towards God in the proper way. It is a way of approaching reality that honors God and honors other people that acknowledges the truth of the world, that this is God's world, that he has designed it, that he has ordered it, he has invested it and us with meaning and purpose, not of our own design, but of his. Right? That there is an oughtness to the world, a way things are meant to be, because there is an author with intent on how things are supposed to be. This is God's world, right? And that means that we should listen to his word on it, and us, who we are, and who he is. He's spoken life, and he has made the way to flourishing known. He has spoken and said what is good and what is evil or what is bad. And we are to trust his judgment and his design. This is how the whole thing starts out, right? Go back to the Garden of Eden. God spoke and revealed the way that would lead to flourishing, and he spoke and revealed the way that would lead to ruin, destruction, and death. And wisdom was to listen to his words. Wisdom would be to not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to trust him. Folly would be to figure it out for yourself. You do you. You do what you want because this is your life. So here's another way to speak of wisdom. Trusting God's judgment about what is good and bad. Not making that judgment for ourselves. So again, in other words, wisdom is living well in God's world according to his word. It's the art, it's the ability, it's the skill of living in accordance with reality, going with the grain of the universe, so to speak. Now, James knows the church is called to live well in God's world, to live in accordance with reality for, for the good of the world and for God's delight in his people, and then it will allow us to partner with him in the flourishing of the world. James knows this. And so, 
He's all about wisdom and the church. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to nestle into this theme. That, that word, I love that. That's uh, my, my friend, some of your friends, uh, Pastor Laren's word. Like, let's nestle into this together. We're going to talk about wisdom here and steep in this and let it get into, into our bones. And notice as we do, um, what we're about to read is poetry. We're about to read Proverbs chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open to Proverbs chapter 9. I'm not going to put all of that scripture up here. I want us to hear it. If you want to look at it, which I know helps some of you, um, go ahead and open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 9. Notice that this is poetry. Wisdom always, or almost always, comes in the form of poetry as we look at the wisdom literature. It's composed of beauty and wit. It's well-crafted, and it causes us to meditate. It's, it's a form that gets it into our, our guts so it affects us and isn't just mere data that it is coming our way. And also notice this. Wisdom is personified as a woman, which I think is just wise in general. Okay. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 9. Beautiful. So good. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Wisdom is a builder. Wisdom is a home builder. The one who makes a good and safe place for people in which to dwell. That's a good start. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She's a shepherd, a gardener. One who takes raw resources and brings them together in a way for blessing and for flourishing. And she has also set her table. She's the host of a feast. She's generous and wants to nourish others. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Wisdom is inclusive, calling, drawing others in. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. She calls out, she's gracious, she initiates. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. She calls us into the good life. It is a way of life that we are called to. Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man. He'll love you. See, wisdom calls us out. Wisdom says no to us. Wisdom knows our desires are bent and broken and the way we perceive things are bent and broken because of sin. And wisdom calls us out and says not everything you want, not everything you're inclined to is right. Out of love, wisdom tells us no. Wisdom tells us there's a better way. Verse 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Wisdom begets wisdom. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Oh, that's good. 
That's good. We're going to come back to that here in just a moment. 11. For by me your days will be multiplied, your years will be added to life, or excuse me, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. See, wisdom brings life. Wisdom brings life, and this is in contrast to folly, the way of folly. Verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. Folly is also personified as a woman. Folly sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. Folly happens in homes and in the highest seats of government and everywhere in between. She calls out to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. See, folly seeks followers, wants to draw people into her net. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. That's what wisdom said. So folly is a mock wisdom, a counterfeit. She goes on and says, And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet. Stolen water is sweet. The bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Lady folly deceives and distorts by appealing to our desires what's within our hearts. And then, and then it says this, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of shale or the grave. Folly leads to death. There's a cemetery in her basement. See, wisdom and folly. Wisdom and folly are both poetically personified as women, as who's, as not as what's, right? They're more of a who than a what. Lady wisdom invites us to life, and nourishes us. Lady folly tempts, lies, and distorts and leads to death. Now here, uh, we learn something absolutely important. So um, let's go back to verse 10. This is such a key verse. Back to verse 10. The fear of the Lord is, beginning, is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is essential for understanding wisdom. See, wisdom is relational. Wisdom is found in a relationship. It is found in right relationship with God. That term, the fear of the Lord, you could say is trust in the Lord or awe or love-filled trust in the Lord. And wisdom is found in acknowledging that he is God, that he is creator and that we are creation, that he is author. He knows what is what. He knows what he is talking about. And so do you want to live well in this world? Then don't imbibe the narratives of this world, but listen to the voice of God. Do you want to excel at the art of living well? Well, then know that God is God, and this is his world, and his word reveals the way things are. Now, such wisdom comes from God. All right, so let's read another bit of poetry regarding wisdom that certainly was in James's mind when he wrote this letter. It's from the book of Job, Job 28. And um, it actually, James mentions Job later by name. And we'll get into that in the coming weeks. So turn with me now to Job chapter 28. Same thing, I'm going to read it. Um, if you would like to see it, um, please open up your, your scriptures. It's good to have our scriptures with us. 
Um, this is a personal favorite uh, chapter of mine, uh, and uh, Pastor Larry and I were talking about Job 28 this week, and uh, it was a great joy. It filled my soul, so I, I pray this helps you. What we're about to talk about is where wisdom is to be found and not to be found. And to help you get your bearings, there's going to be a mining metaphor. A, a miner's digging shafts in the ground, hanging from these shafts, extracting jewels from the earth. Here's what it says, Job 28 verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth. Copper is smelted. From the ore, man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in the gloom and the deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from any, where anyone lives, and they are forgotten by the travelers. Those miners are just down in the secret places. They hang in the air, far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it, it is all turned up by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and in it is the dust of gold. See, the earth gives bread and metals and precious stones. It's all buried in there, secret, and it comes out. The path no bird of prey knows. And the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. In other words, animals don't mind the treasure that is deep in the earth as humanity does. There's secrets that people expose and reveal. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle and the thing that is hidden he brings to light. It's incredible what human beings do, what they can find, how they explore, what they, what they pull out. But, but where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth. It is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, wisdom is not in me. The sea says, it, wisdom is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal wisdom. Nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then... From where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? It's hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. In other words, even death in all its power isn't the source of wisdom. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. Wisdom comes from the Creator. And then verse 28. And he, God said to man, Behold, 
The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. There it is again, right? We, we read that in Proverbs. Trust in God, right relationship with him, right? Following his word leads to fruitfulness, to listen to God. That is, that is wisdom. From Genesis on, humanity was meant to live well in God's world, to listen to his voice. That was what would lead to flourishing and the expansion of Eden over the whole world. James wants the church to know this and live accordingly. For when God's people walk wisely, it leads to their flourishing. It is a blessing to their neighbors. And it's a delight to God. He delights in it. And the church, apprentices of of Jesus, are a people who, who walk wisely, who live well in God's world according to his word, to be living signposts. To be living signposts of what is good and what is beautiful and what is true. Wisdom benefits everyone. Friends, that we as a church family would walk in wisdom and flourish. That we would walk in wisdom and bless our community, the neighborhood, this street, downtown, the rest of the city, the the tri-valley, that they would see the good and the beautiful and the true in a world of darkness, despair, and brokenness. That we would be a delight to our God. Now, by God's grace, I believe that we are. But we can grow in this, and we need to grow in this so much. See, James knows as he writes to Christians scattered about that we don't always walk wisely, do we? Folly is, is a part of, of our broken nature. It is within us, always threatening to come out. We need help. We embrace folly. We sabotage ourselves and others. We make mistakes. I've had folly come out of me this week. I've made mistakes this week. And if you're a human being, I imagine it's quite the same for you. That folly has shown herself in your life. We go against the grain of God's design of loving him and loving others. We have been unkind. We have been impatient. We have been ungracious. We have been unloving. We have been self Seeking. As James knows, we face trials. We're going to talk about this next week. We face trials, self-imposed and imposed externally. And so we need to ask wisdom. And God, we need to ask God for wisdom. He's going to give it to us. This is the promise in verse 5, which again, we'll look at in depth next week. Ask for wisdom and God will deliver it. He generously gives to us. Now, Here's the amazing thing about wisdom. See, wisdom walks. Wisdom walks. And what I mean by that is wisdom is seen in our actions. It is evidenced in our way of life by our trust and our actions. But I don't just mean that. Because if that were the case, we'd be in big trouble. What I mean is something even more amazing. 
that allows us to walk in wisdom. See, there's help that comes to us in our, com- our continual falling down in folly. And so when I say wisdom walks, I mean that quite literally in flesh and, and bone and muscle and ligament and souls pounding the, the ground. So listen to this. Listen to how wonderful this is. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 through 24 and 30 through 31. I will put it up here on the screen for you. Paul says, We preach Christ crucified, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You, you Christians, are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written but the one who boasts boast in the lord this is where all the old testament wisdom literature has been pointing the entire time jesus is the wisdom of god from god for us. Jesus is wisdom incarnate, wisdom in the flesh. In him, wisdom walks. See, Jesus is the one who lived well in this world in perfect accordance with the Father's word. He perfectly lived the art of living in accordance with reality. He saw things as they were and responded rightly. Wisdom walks in the person of Jesus Christ. All the manifold wisdom of the scriptures has been an arrow pointing forward to how we are to live, but could not. But then was fulfilled in Jesus who lived in such a way that would bring us life. That would bring flourishing to his children. That would bring blessing to enemies and and to neighbors. And would bring this incredible union of delight of the Father in his children because of his delight in his Son, Jesus Christ. Wisdom walks in Jesus. And if we are in Jesus, then that means we can walk in wisdom by his grace. So my friends, trust in Jesus who is the Lord, who is wisdom. Let us look to him, abide with him, obey his word, and become wise like him by the power of his spirit as he teaches us through his word. By his grace, we too can walk in wisdom for he's in us and we are in him. And as we live in loving union with Jesus, who is wisdom, we will move towards flourishing even through difficult times. We will be a blessing to our neighbors, to our enemies, and we will be a delight to our God. How does that all look? What's the practical implications of all this? Well, the book of James is going to help us do just that, to live well. So onward into what we go next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you lead us. Lord, help us to live well. We thank you um, that we could come to this table and worship you, the one who lived well, that we might truly live. I love you. I pray this in the name of Christ, our King. Amen.